0: But the purses continue to increase and the advisors and the managers continue to want easy fights that don't deliver and we're the weak ones because sometimes we let them do it so we've got to be you know we we will be part in ways with fighters because some of them don't deliver commercially on the numbers they want and some of them aren't prepared to take the fights that we believe they should be taking some of them might watch my late. So this is like many times I've asked myself this question: Why did I put myself in this situation? <laughs> but this is where lions are made. You know i lions are made. Too many people are attached. Are attached to the dunya bond. They don't want to detach themselves. What I'm trying to do is showcase to myself. There's actually not much I need. I just need myself. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast of the sport where actually only one podcast matters. So thank you as always for tuning in. Um, We really have clawed our way to the top of the mountain where people know who we are um, for sure. They pay attention. They see the tweets. They see the posts. they, They listen to the episodes. So it's always good to know that not only is this number one podcast in the sport, Is the podcast that sits at the heart of the sport and people are paying attention. And hopefully in doing that, I get to share the voice of the fans with the people that make the decisions. These things are really important. So as always, thank you to everyone, whether this is your first episode or this is the 400th time you've listened to me. I have no idea, but I am forever grateful. So today I was meant to be getting my glad rags on and getting ready to to meet Martin, obviously, um, meet Martin, meet Rob Martin, and anyone else that was going to be out for Aziz versus Boatsy. But that's not to be. And we've all kind of had to, to reboot our plans and go, well, what are we going to do next? Um, I think, or well, hopefully Martin is going to exercise his, his lifetime membership of York Hall to just walk in without paying, um, seeing as he's been there more times than anyone else that I know. But I yeah, I don't know what's gonna to happen tonight. Should we all go and watch it? I think we should. Are there still tickets available? I'd expect so. What's happening with the refunds? Nobody has a clue. So that part of it's a mess, and we'll come on to that in a second. But let's just discuss a lot of the stuff that was was said about Aziz Boatsian. I've had views and I've had more information, so my views sort of morphed and changed over the intervening period. So there are a couple of things that came out. So number one, there are a couple of quotes. So people have made reference to the fact that Eddie Hearn said he doesn't see Aziz versus Boatsy happening. And so where did that come from? So from, from the pieces I could put together in the last few days, Clearly, Hearn has a a good idea on what Josh costs to headline, right? Um, whether that's directly from his manager Maz, whether that's from people at Sky, no idea. But Eddie Hearn will know the number. He'll also know what the O2 is like, and so he'll go. I don't see, I don't see this being profitable if you don't sell both tiers of the O2. Maybe that's what he's saying, and he's like, I know they definitely haven't sold both tiers. Therefore, in my head, this isn't a profitable fight why would you go ahead with it, right? And that seems to be where Hearn's come from. Then there's a second statement Hearn made, which is, I've never known someone get injured in fight week. Well, Dan wasn't injured in fight week. Simple reality is, Dan wasn't injured in fight week. Now, if we want to talk about match room and what happens in fight week, Let's roll the clock back to, was it December 2018 when Josh Kelly was meant to fight David Avanessian or was it 2019? I can't even remember, everything blurs into one. So if you remember, in Sheffield, Josh Kelly was meant to fight David Avanessian, right? I think that was on the, I'm trying to go back in the archives, was it Brooke Zarafa? So it was definitely one of those nights in Sheffield and if you go back and look in the archives, I think Brooke Zarafa was quite possibly the worst boxing card I've like just ever seen. Um, who was on? Uh, you, you can guess who was on there, right? It was just it was terrible. I remember Kid Galahad being on there, and it wasn't great. They've, God, they got that John O'Carroll on there, but because I remember be, I, was, I was in Sheffield that weekend, and the card was so bad, I refused to get a ticket, and they were giving tickets out, and I remember that down by. I uh, said, so you know where the town hall is in Sheffield, near where they used to have that Weatherspoons pub, um, opposite RSVP, God, it shows my age, I to call that bar RSVP. But I remember, we were out with some of Team Kelly on the Friday night, okay, having food, having drinks, talking, talking boxing. It gets to half one, two in the morning, no one's phone has gone off about Josh Kelly. The record, I've told the story before, so I'll keep it short. No one's phone's gone off about Josh Kelly, and we're like, okay, cool. The fight's still happening. We're asking the question, yeah, fight's still on. Yes, how do you think he gets on? Uh, hard fight, but Josh should win, right? That's the position at two in the morning. Um, don't know if we're leaving the casino or wherever it is, right? Two in the morning, that's the position. Half nine, Adam Booth is at Dave Corwell's gym doing a session with the kids, and at that point. Apparently the fight's still on. Remember, this is a Saturday of fight. This is a fight day. And then everyone gets told that the fight's off because Josh Kelly's ill. It's like, well, when did he get ill? And they've never answered this. What was the illness? When did he get ill? It just seemed to get brushed under the carpet. So Hearn saying that people don't get injured in fight week is absurd because it happens to him. Now, if he says the main event getting injured, kind of okay with that, But now let's go back to Dillian White versus Lucas Brown. Lucas Brown got wiped out 10 days before. (laughs) Got wiped out, sleeping on the canvas. And I'm not saying that to glorify it. The message I got on the Wednesday that it happened, and if everyone remembers, I jumped on New Age and I said, put all your money on a Dillian White stoppage. Because the way it was described to me, I was like, that fight shouldn't be going ahead. But it went ahead. Yeah, on a match from show. I can tell you this now. If a rugby player sustained that kind of head injury, they wouldn't be playing rugby for four weeks as a bare minimum. If a kid sustained that in the amateurs, you might give them 60 days. And they allowed the fight to happen. Now, did they know? I would suspect that they knew. Boxing world's really small, so when Hearn gets on this moral high horse and his cheerleaders and his girlfriends and his his sub bottoms all start falling at his feet, telling the world that he's right, is problematic. Because Hearn has formed for this. In fact, tonight's card in Liverpool has had something similar happen. So Shabazz Musu gets pulled from the Liverpool card. Um, they cite illness, but you wonder, is it really illness? What is it? And bachelor are really good at using language to obfuscate what really happens illness. Because you can't really refute illness, right? Because it could be anything, could be a cold, could be a flu, but when you say injury, then that has to be some kind of verifiable, you know, physical ailment. What's an ailment, but physical situation? And so the the big point on this is. It's easy for hern to to take jibes at people, right, because deep down he's still bitter about what happened with Josh, so he'll he'll take whatever chance he can to poke at him. He'll also take the chance to poke at Ben Shalom, and why would he do that? He would do that because if you look at what Hearn was doing a couple of years into his Sky contract and what well into his promotional career, if you look at what Ben's doing, there's not much difference, right. Eddie Hearn started off with guys who had seen better days, rebooting them, cleaning them up, and getting them on pay-per-view. Ben Shalom doing something similar. Guys who have seen better days, clean them up, get them on pay-per-view, make a few quid, use that money to then sign a few disaffected fighters from a big-name promoter, bring them onto your platform, start building them up so they can become the next pay-per-view generation. Hearn's mad because Ben Shalom's taken the Hearn playbook. And so Eddie's like, I can't let this guy win because if he wins using my tactics, you know what I mean? Number one, I know my tactics work, so this is going to be an existential threat because Sky will always be there. And Sky, through Comcast, have enough of a reach to challenge the zone. So Hearn is always going to draw Ben Shalom into a firefight and hope that Ben does things out of emotion and not logic. And hope that Ben does things to get under Hearn's skin and not because it's a good deal for Sky. Needle Ben Shalom into blowing his load, and hopefully Ben sees the okey-doke and doesn't fall for it. But I always think it's in bad taste when you say things like, I've never known someone to get hurt in fight week, when it wasn't fight week, it was before fight week. And people say to me, oh, do you believe it was an injury? On oh God, if Dan Aziz goes out in public and says I'm injured, I'm going to believe Dan Aziz 100 times out of 100. That's loyalty, that's friendship, you do that. And also, here's what people don't understand. You've had months of knowing that the collision course is today. So you're like, whatever happens, win, lose, or draw, wake up on Monday, don't have to think about it again. Now he's got to think about it again. He'd rather not, by the way. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to fake it because it's not like you're going to get more money. The money's the money, the contract's the contract. You want to get it out of the way as fast as possible, either fight for a world title or rebuild as fast as possible. I just think, as things stand, it's unfortunate. I was told that about 10K tickets had been sold by the time the injury was announced. I'm rounding that up a little bit, but that's the number I was told. I'm happy to, to sit on that number. And when people say, what you base that on? I say, well, two raw novices in Lawrence O'Coli and Isaac Chamberlain were able to do this. They were able to sell out the lower tier, and they did sell it out for the record. Am I supposed to believe that Joshua Buatsi and Dan Aziz can't do something similar? Come on, man! Like, like, even if you say it's a London-centric event, cool. But they can do those numbers. Uh, that's not beyond them. So, so now we move on to York Hall and. It changes the complexion of the card now because now you look at it as a, as a York Hall card. To get a British title fight between Isaac Chamberlain and Mikel Lawal as a main event at York Hall is insane. If you can get a ticket, go. If you can get a ticket and you're like, what is big name boxing like in an old school arena? Go. York Hall is Isaac's home. What is he, 6-0 and oh at York Hall? He's had his shoulder pop back in there. He's shown that he's a warrior there. He's older, wiser, stronger, more mature now. And he's going to face someone in Mikel Lawal who will let his right hand go. It doesn't matter if it ends up in the, in the upper balcony of your Hall. He won't care. He's launching that. Isaac has to be vigilant, has to keep that left up at all times, has to keep himself angled off so that that right hand always glances the shoulder before it connects anywhere else, just to take the sting out of it. But that's the same shoulder that they had to pop back in. So there's small elements of demons in there. You see, this is where the intrigue comes. Is Lawal going to target the shoulder? Don't know. Has Isaac strengthened the shoulder? Don't know. What I do know is these two guys are going to go for it. And I, I've seen, I remember Mikel Lowell sparring John Pilato just watching those two. And roughly, they were roughly similar weights. There's probably about three, or three kilos between them when they sparred, And I'm not going to say you would have paid money to watch that spar because I don't think anyone would have paid money to watch sparring. But you saw two incredibly tough men, two incredibly hard men, just throw heavy leather at each other and it was a joy to watch and that's when I knew I was like this Mikhail the Wild Kid has a future if he can put all the other elements of his game together now the thing is he's going to fight now at a venue where Isaac's comfortable at a level where Isaac is comfortable right in front of a crowd where Isaac is comfortable has he added those layers you know Jab, timing, footwork, positioning, head movement, defense. Has he added enough of those elements to counteract the nerves he's going to feel? Because when Mikel Lawal walks out into that crowd, and the configuration is different this time for Yorko, well, I think they're just trying to maximize the number of people they can get in. So it's going to be packed. And it's going to be intense. And Isaac's been there before. Can Mikel Lawal hold up enough mentally? Can he keep enough of these distractions out enough that he can get in there and be the best version of him? Because if he can, we've got a hell of a fight. In terms of Isaac, while you want to watch this, finally this man has got a run of form together. He gets to fight for the British. And if he looks good in this, for God's sake, just start lining him up for a world title shot. I don't think Chamberlain versus Opatia is a fight that is a chasm in skills or experience. I think they're both guys who have, who have been in tough from a young age. I'd like to see that fight. That's the fight I'd like to see. If we're just talking about entertainment, Opatia versus Chamberlain, 100%. I don't think Isaac has a problem with Southpaw. Seems to handle Wadi Camacho pretty well. So why not? But I think Saturday night's going to be a good fight. If you can't make it, and I know there's some of you who don't live in London or nearby, watch it watch it for the atmosphere, watch it for that main event, if nothing else. So I'm not going to sit here and kid you and tell you that the rest of the card is amazing, because it's not, but the Liverpool card's not that great either. You've got Catrell fighting Linares. I've been saying it for years, Linares was fragile at 130, fragile at 135. I think he disintegrates at 140. Problem is, Catrell's not that... He's not that come-forward type of guy, is he? Where he, he can just take out someone like Lenaris, which is what you need to do to make a statement. If Cattrell just comes forward and says, I'm taking him out, fair play. Like, that's how you build excitement. But like I said, a lot of these boxes are thick as, thick as mints. So they end up just going, I'm just going to box how I want to box, box comfortably. If, if this is a points win, it's a massive defeat for, for Jack Cattrell. If Linares sees the final bell, this is a massive defeat for Jack Capital as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to hear any talk about him fighting Josh Taylor after this if he can't handle Jorge and Linares. Like, Linares is just a small guy. That's it. He's a small guy who was getting touched up as a small guy, never mind as a big guy. So I look at this and I go, who cares? Um, I can't even remember. Who else have they got on there? They were Campbell Hatton. Uh, They've got um God, who else have they got on there? I know Tom Farrell's the B-side to someone. It's oh, the Kajid Abdullah, that's not his name. But it's just Peter McGrail's on there, so that'll be all right. But it's essentially a a local card for local interest, right? And fair enough, if you're from the area, probably a great card. Do you know what I mean? And you get if you're a part of the Liverpool Northwest boxing scene, it's a little reunion for you guys. So fair play. To me, there's just nothing of interest, mainly because of that main event. Like, I just think it's a it's a contrived attempt to try and make Cattrell relevant when Cattrell's done nothing in his career apart from fight Josh Taylor to make himself relevant. And the world's kind of moved past that thing. He's still most famous for sparring Canelo. That's his claim to fame. Like, basically, you're... You're a junior welterweight version of Carlos Takam. You're going to be known more for your sparring exploits than you ever will be for your in-ring achievements. The only chance he's got to, to change that is to fight someone like a pro-gray or a Devin Haney. All this other stuff is irrelevant because he's been a pro long enough. But these two cards raise a really interesting question, and this is a question I have for, for boxing fans. When is it okay to be the, the offspring of someone in boxing? When are you given a pass and when are you given hell? What are the rules on this? Because we've got different rules for different people. So, example, Campbell Hatton, routinely slaughtered in the media, routinely cooked in the media, fists of foam, doesn't deserve to be on a Joshua undercard, only famous because of his dad, he's this, that, he'll never be his dad, he ain't got his dad's power, he's not as tough as his dad. There are all these criticisms that come Campbell Hatton's way. And I always go back to what I said when he made his debut. I'm not prepared to judge Campbell Hatton for two years. Because I understand the path he's about to go down. I felt the same about Conor Ben, Another guy who gets routinely blasted on social media. And this is pre-drug test failure. Weak chin. O'Hara Davis broke your jaw. Pano beat you. You don't deserve your spot. You're there because you're your Ben's son. I mean, they... They signed you just so they could see your dad in a black and white suit dancing in the ring. All this stuff gets thrown at Conor Ben. Nothing he has he deserves. Ah, you're Nigel's son. You're the product of privilege, right? Right? Everyone's heard that. You've seen it. You've read it. There are many outlets that go with that line. Let's pause. Harlem Eubank. Good luck to the kid. Um... Let's see, take an example from a coach, Mark Tibbs, proper, yeah, 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 Mark, Mark, Mark's proper, mate, Mark's, you know what I mean, Mark's Mark, mate, yeah, Mark is Mark, mate, yeah, 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 sweet, sweet, yeah, yeah, his old man's a good man, so he's a good lad, yeah, the cycle goes on, you can name others, yeah, you can name others, Jamie Ice oh, he's and he's he's good, Where else do we want to go? can go Harley Ben if you want. Same dad, different responses. And then let's zero in on tonight's card at York Hall. Mick Hennessy Jr. I've never read or heard anyone say Mick Hennessy doesn't deserve to box. Never heard people call him fists of foam. Never heard anyone talk about he's a silver spoon kid. Remember, they said that about Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn's a Silver Spoon kid, but Callie Sowland isn't. No one can explain the difference to me. Callie and Nisa Sowland are not seen as Silver Spoon, but Eddie Hearn is. Don't know why. But tonight, you've got Campbell Hatton Boxing, who people are going to judge based on his father and believe he doesn't deserve to be there. That is nepotism. You've got Mick Hennessy Jr. Boxing on a show that his dad has had some influence in because his dad promotes Isaac. And no one kicks up a fuss. Now, I have no problem with Mick Hennessey Jr. wanting to box. Cool, box if you want. But what are the rules on criticizing people for using daddy's influence to get in position? What is the answer to that? Because it's not consistent. It's almost as if boxing fans need to be told who the good and the bad guys are. And then they just jump on the bandwagon. Because Mick Hennessey Jr. doesn't get cooked the same way that Campbell Hatton does. And Ricky's not even a promoter. Prince Nassim's kid had his first ever fight on TV. He didn't get cooked the way Campbell Hatton does. You see the hypocrisy you get? Like, boxing fans think they're being told things straight. You're not. There's an agenda. And there's a name that I'm going to leave last deliberately. Huey Fury. Right? Right? I think Huey's a good heavyweight. But if you apply the Conrad Benn test, if you apply the, the Campbell-Hatton test, if you apply the McHennessy test, where is the criticism for Huey Fury and people saying he doesn't deserve it, he's a child of privilege, he's this, he's that, he's the third. Where is that? What are the rules? It just seems a bit unfair that some people get it and some people don't. Now, I'll give you my opinion. The goal of every parent whether it's a mother, a father, irrelevant, is to build something the kids can take value from. If you set up a private medical practice, you want your kid to be involved. Like, you know, someone I knew growing up, father's a billionaire, everyone knows the brand. She's gone into the family business. The son hasn't, but can do right? That is the whole point. We build something so you can come into the family business. We want to build something that lasts beyond us. So why would we hold it different in boxing terms? You know, there are people listening to this who own their own building firms, joinery firms. There are people here who, who have shops. There are people that own pubs, hotels that listen to this. They want their kids to enjoy the benefits of that. They want their kids to be involved. It's a family thing. It's a family legacy. And we're okay with that. Right? We're 100% okay with that. I'm sure if Coogan can get IFL to a point where it's worth a couple of billion, and why can't he? He probably can. I'm sure he wants his kid to take over that. And so it stays in the family. It's a natural thing for a parent to want a kid to enjoy the fruits of their labor. So when Conor Ben says he wants to box, what's his dad supposed to do? When Campbell Hatton says he wants to box, what's his dad supposed to do? When Huey Fury says he wants to box, what's his dad supposed to do? When Mick Hennessy Jr. and Fran Hennessy say they want to box, what is their dad supposed to do? So that's why I say, what are the rules? And it can't be, well, he did it in the amateurs, because Conor Ben had 19 fights in the ams. I can't verify all 19, but I can verify at least 10 of them. Campbell Hatton, boxed as an amateur. Huey definitely boxed as an amateur. McHennessy Jr. boxed as an amateur. So, I don't understand it. Even Steve Goodwin's son, Josh, who had a pro fight, he boxed as an amateur. So, it's not that it's amateur pedigree. So, for me, I'm going to ask the fans this question. Is it that anyone associated with Eddie Hearn is bad, and therefore... Connor Ben and Campbell Hatton have to get it because of what Hearn says? Is it just the Hearn affiliation or are we saying that this nepotism is wrong? Because it can't be both. Because if the nepotism is wrong, then it's wrong for everybody. So it has to be a, we just don't like Eddie Hearn. Therefore, we're going to criticize Eddie and everything. And I think if you're an adult and that's your mindset, hmm, not a good look, but everyone's entitled to their opinion, so I can't really say too much on that. What I would say, and I do mean this from the bottom of my heart, is at least be clear about why you're saying and believing what you are, because the reality is these kids are just carrying on the family lineage, and it's not like, you know, in the in the traveler community, that's exactly what happens. We're a fighting breed, Um the Gormans, the Doherty's, the furies fighting breeds. That's what they take pride in. So I think boxing fans just need that bit of context because we're either going to hammer the children of everyone or we're going to hammer none of them. Which one is it? God, let's discuss Showtime um, exiting boxing because for me personally, it's heartbreaking. Um, they've been a part of my boxing journey for a long time. I'm sure it's the same for for many others too. Um, you know there are many fights we could probably list and go. Wow, that was a great moment on Showtime. But you know you're going to hear a lot of stuff being said by people, but you got to understand the context about you know how these games play out because it's never as simple as as the media tell you. So what we've seen in the media market is actually what was always going to happen. Right? There's always going to be a one or two things was going to happen in the media market as it became more fragmented. You're either going to have just like a like an orchestration layer, right? Which is essentially one app holds all my subscriptions. So I can access all of my subscriptions through one app, right? That was one of the options. The other option is the market just consolidates and we've seen that, right? So BT became part of the discovery group, got rebranded as TNT sport is a clear example of that. Um, you've seen Comcast and you know, they took over sky. So sky sits in Comcast. And so these big American conglomerates are buying up assets. And so you saw, you've seen it with so Disney have done it, and now what you're seeing is Paramount doing it. So Paramount merged with Showtime. For non-American fans, essentially Showtime is one of their flagship operations. Um, if you've got if you've got a fast, you probably watched some Showtime movies. So they've got a whole it's a whole network, right? It's not just sports. It's movies. It's entertainment. It's all sorts. Of, there's loads of Showtime channels um split between west coast and east coast as well for for the nuance so in the summer they merged and what happens when these mergers occur is you you run an inventory of all your assets for example right you go what brands do we own what do they do and so what someone's probably clocked is they've gone right we've got cbs sports already and that's a mature broadcasting platform do we need showtime sports they'll do the numbers who brings in more viewers What's the, what's the greatest return we get per dollar spent? Is it with Showtime Sports or is it with CBS Sports? The winner normally gets to stay. So we learned very quickly that Showtime probably isn't the one. Now, it helps that CBS don't go elbow deep into boxing like, like Showtime do. And maybe that's why they've paid a, a very heavy price for their commitment to boxing. So if we ask the question, where did it go wrong for Showtime Sports? Boxing's the answer. Most of the other stuff Showtime do is pretty good, actually. The documentaries are solid. Um, some of their their pre-fight content's really good as well. Where it goes wrong is the boxing business model is broken. As much as we love Mayweather, this is kind of the dark side of Mayweather's legacy. When Mayweather was saying he's a hundred million dollar fighter, people then said, "Well, okay, I'm not Mayweather, but I'm at least one tenth of what Mayweather is. I need to be paid ten million to fight so and so." whoever it was. And so you saw this purse inflation that wasn't related to what these guys could generate. And you paid it because you didn't want them to go to the rival. Initially, it was HBO, then it was DAZN. Um, You put ESPN Plus in there as well. And so you had this weird thing of having to make fights and give fighters purses that weren't economic enough. right? And these guys weren't doing enough to deliver for that. Mayweather did, by the way. The money Mayweather made, because you have to remember, Mayweather's guarantees were relatively low, but his pay-per-view upside was relatively high. So he wasn't costly for Showtime. In fact, he was a cash cow for Showtime. And if they still had Mayweather, they probably would have stayed in boxing. But they've never been able to replace Mayweather. No one has no one's come close. Canelo, nope. Haney, nope. Um, Crawford, no. Ennis, no. No one's come close to what Floyd did. And everyone knows my view on this. When Mayweather left boxing, he took all of that money with him because he didn't make anybody else. They didn't come close to making anybody else. If nothing else, Pacquiao made guys like Ugas, Jeff Horn. He made them valuable, so he kept a bit of money in the game. Um, Canelo's made people. Canelo's made Bivol, for example. He's kept money in the game. And so Showtime never had that. So when you're paying guys like the Charlo brothers four or five million dollars and nobody really knows who they are outside of hardcore boxing fans, you're slowly bleeding money. And the sad thing is, if you look at 2023, Showtime stepped up. Like this year, Showtime have been good. we we got two undisputed fights in a week. Then you had Canelo versus um, Charlo, two undisputed fighters fighting each other. So we've, we've, we've had a lot of good fights this year, but it's a legacy of bleeding money. The boxing model doesn't work. So what do you say to boxers? Take less money. Yes, 100% take less money because you're less relevant now. And what you'll see is you'll see people, this will be an argument now, right? Oh, well, if I can make three million pounds a fight and he's not a real boxer. I'm a real boxer. I deserve four. It's like, well, go and generate four. There's a reason why boxers don't go it alone. Because you look at what some of these guys earn and you go, well, if you're that economically valuable, why wouldn't you just team together and go it alone? And the simple answer is, they know they're not worth that. That's it. (laughs) They know they're not worth that. Let me just pause and go. So. How 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 should we feel about Showtime leaving? Like HBO left and the the train kept turning. I'm trying to think. Like if you look at Showtime, I think Mayweather, Pacquiao was in Showtime pay per view. Um, Tyson Holyfield was as well, wasn't it? The first fight. So they, they they they've been central to to a lot of our boxing identities and a lot of our boxing life. But if they go, what does that leave? Really, that leaves zone and ESPN, right? Is that a good thing? Because it doesn't, well, the zone's not profit-making yet anyway. So how long have the zone got left? And so this is what happens. Now this is for, this is for everyone, but specifically for boxers. Yeah, because they don't seem to understand how this game works. When broadcasters look at their portfolio of brands and content, what they look at is what is the cost to produce That's it. What is the cost to produce? Because really media companies just sell advertising. That's it. Create content to entertain. They sell advertising and they sell subscriptions. That's their revenue model. Yes, there's syndication, but syndication is shared between a broadcaster and also a production company. But in terms of the money that the broadcaster owns, advertising, subscriptions. Take a typical boxing event. Let's just say um, Golovkin against Canelo, too, as an example. And I think that was on HBO. What's the production cost of that? Bearing mind, you've got to pay the fighters, you've got to organize the event, you've got market, you've got to promote. Yeah? Let's just say it's a $50 million cost. If the pay per view brings in $60 million, People think, well, that's 10 million profit. That's really good. But no, there's a cost of capital. That 50 million could be doing other things. That 50 million could have gone towards reality TV and pulled in 85 million. And so they've got to do that balancing act that we don't understand as boxing fans because we just care about boxing. And boxing shows are very expensive to put on because one, you've got to put the money away for months while they get ready. So... Your money's tied up. You can't do anything with it. You can't flip it. Secondly, like the event itself is really expensive to put on. Now, these vents are not cheap. And third, like if you do it free to air, there's only so much advertising you can put out there because you've got minute gaps between the rounds. And so let's say you've got 12 of those. So actually the unit economics of boxing don't make a lot of sense when you're paying fighters what you're currently paying them. There are a lot of guys that should be on, um, I reckon, about 20 to 30% of what they're currently on, based on true economic market value. A lot of guys in boxing are overpaid. I think it's true in Britain as well. You're going to start seeing some heads being cut because they don't move the needle. I know Hearn made noises about dropping some people from Matchroom, and he should have done this a long time ago. I'd like to see Sky drop a few people as well and actually start, start showing some leadership, right? Because here's what boxing fans want to know. Who are you backing? Like, for me, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If I'm running Sky, I'm building the Sky franchise around Chamberlain, Aziz, Billum Smith, um, Caroline Dubois, and I'm poaching Ellie Scottney. And that's my famous five. I'm building my franchise around those guys. And there's a reason why. I can put them in front of corporate Britain and they'll smile. Corporate Britain will smile and go, we like these guys. They're guys that can go and do outreach on behalf of the brand. They can go and do outreach on behalf of the sport and you would trust them to do it. They don't come with that baggage from being on the block, being in the hood, being on the estate. Do you know what I mean? They don't come with that baggage because they've learned to rise above it. And that's what I would do. That's leadership. When you say this is what we're leading off with, we're investing in these guys. They're gonna build a profile of boxing and then we're gonna bring wave after wave after them. That's how you should build. It's how Matchum should build now. This idea that Joshua is gonna anchor the brand for however long, he's not. He's got two or three fights in him tops. You know, I saw him, you know, he's got his darkness retreat. It wasn't really darkness and silence, but there was all, an, an awful lot of talking and an awful lot of light that I saw. But that's, a, that's an issue for another time. But I would say this. The unit economics of doing boxing events make no sense. You know, All of this, we're going to do the O2. People are doing the O2 because they've done the O2 before. No one talks about doing the copper box. Who's the copper box level fighter? Why are they not on there? It seems that we go from York Hall to the Wembley Arena, which is like 13,000, or the O2 Arena, which is like 18,000. It's like, no, no, we need something in the middle. Yeah. 7,000. Yeah. Good. Everyone's got a good view. Everyone can make noise. And it's a good event for boxing. It was specifically designed for boxing. That's what the Copper Box was meant to be for. And it's never really, it's never really used, and it should be. But this is the point I've been making for a long time. 90% of managers are lazy. They don't focus on how to build their boxer. They just it's all about I'm here to negotiate a purse. We need fights with no no motherfucker. How are you gonna take that kid that you sold the dream to? And how are you gonna get him to endorse Kellogg's cornflakes? Which manager in boxing has done that? Has taken a kid off the street and position them to be the face of a Spotify, for example. Who's done that? I can only think of, of my friend AP, who did it with Umar Sadiq. I call him AP now. I'm just lazy. He's the guy that I saw pushing for that and saying that's where we need to get to. All these other guys, I want to position you for a title here, a title there. That's chump change, man. Like Some, some people are fighting for the British title for 20 grand. Do you mean like... You get a good sponsorship, that's 20 grand. No managers are working on getting you sponsors. Like Fighters are doing their own sponsorship hustle. And then the manager's like, I need a percentage of that. Because the contract says so. They don't don't do any work. And this is why boxing is broken from top to bottom. It's why the unit economics don't work without pay-per-view. That's why Hearn says I have to do everything as a pay-per-view because of what the boxers want. No, stop paying them stop paying Chisora to be on pay-per-view cuz no one cares. Well, let me walk that back. There's a subset of people in this country who will watch any old shit when it comes to boxing. Like, I don't want to label them because it's a multi-faith it's a multi-faith temple. Yeah. But they're the people who bought tickets for Chisora versus Fury. You see those sheep there? They're the same people who will go and watch Joshua fight Jermaine Franklin. They're sheep. They'll pay for anything because boxing is their identity. If they can't talk about boxing, there's nothing else they talk about. And the sad thing is promoters exploit that. And they keep feeding them dross and dross, knowing that they will never quit. They're like crackheads. They'll never quit. And so here we are now. Espinoza's at the end of the year, Espinosa will be done with Showtime. Would love to see him at the zone, by the way, because that'd be incredible. I think he'd bring the leadership that they've lacked for a long time. Um, I think he understands the unit economics of boxing better than Hearn does. Um, so I'd like to see I'd like to see that battle. And then let's see what, what happens next. I, I can see ESPN Plus looking to get an additional promotion. I can see Oscar going over there at some point. But in terms of broadcast. I think you're just going to see people walk away from boxing or just scale back the budgets, you know. If if you can't make it work on pay-per-view, you probably can't make it work. And you're going to see a lot of these guys start dropping out the sport because these paydays, they've been basically gifted by ignorant boxing fans. They'll stop at some point because people have got bills to pay now. And, you know... You're seeing it, actually, with, with Boxer and the refunds. People are like, I, I need the money now. man. We've got bills that are going out in two days. Where's my refund? And if they don't pay that money back soon, that's going be to become a toxic issue for Boxer, and then it sort of diffuses over into Sky, and the Sky have a problem. Yeah, just want to get that one nailed as fast as possible, to be honest. But back to the original point. It's a real shame. Because, like I said, some people have grown up with Showtime as being one of the brands in boxing. They know. They know that logo. They'll never forget that logo. And it's no more. It's been consumed by Paramount. And now, who knows what will happen. Will CBS Sports get into boxing? That would be intriguing to see if it's just a, we're going to wrap up on Showtime and just move everything to CBS Sports. Because they may have lower production costs. They may go, actually, do you know what? here's a business model we can do for boxing. Makes boxing viable, sustainable, profitable. Here's all the advertising you can sell. Job done. Now the risk is that maybe Jake Paul and not necessarily Jamal Charlo that becomes the viable option in boxing. People forget that. Those YouTubers are profitable. Professional boxers are not. That's why I keep telling people, If you can't justify your own earnings, if you can't point to a promoter and say, look, this is all the money I bring in, you're probably a cost to a promoter. You're not that important. They can replace you with anyone at any time. You're loss-making, so what difference does it make? Cool. Let me wrap up there. If anyone's going to York Hall, I don't even think you'll listen to this in time, but if anyone is, probably just tweet it out. Um, I'm going to try and get a ticket now. If there's no tickets, there's no tickets and then just see what happens. But on that note, I'll say take care, guys, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week whenever you listen to this.